Welcome to the Boundless Gamers Podcast. My name is Indy, and I will be your host this afternoon. With me this time is Mike, who is back from doing his awesome solo episode. Mike, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing good, but I was just looking at my phone because you said afternoon, and I was and I was wondering if I was uh, actually in the wrong time or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, it is definitely dark outside, so technically it's a good night, but I have no idea when people are listening to this, so you know what, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, you know what, whatever the fuck you're listening to, whenever you're listening to this. One of the best intros we just had right now, so right? just uh, roll with it. Let's just, uh, let's go <laughs> ahead and preface this entire episode with, this is probably the least prepared that I've ever been hosting, and you know what, I feel no pressure, so we're just going to... um Go for a drive in the vacuum of space. We have no barriers. We're just going to go and see where it goes. Well, with um that fantastic little intro, um, I guess we'll just jump straight into what we're playing. What we're playing is usually what we go into next, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, Mike, what have you been playing? Huh. Let's see. Well, I've been playing a lot of different things. But I'm deciding which game I want to bring up right now. Let's see. Uh, Would you like me to go first while you decide? Oh, no, no. I got it. I got it. I'm just... I I beat four games recently, so I'm just like, which one do I want to pull? <laughs> Don't worry, just I'm not going to talk about all of them. beat four games, you know, fucking casuals. Well, two of them were like three hours long each. Oh, so those don't count. Not huge time commitments. But, uh, yeah, I just finished L.A. Noir. That's not a three-hour game. <laughs> That's 20 hours, at least. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I still love this game. I, I beat it back in the day when it came out. I actually pre-ordered it at GameStop uh, and picked it up the day it was released, brought it home, and I absolutely loved it. Actually, did I go to a midnight launch for that? I think you did, because this is back in the day when you and I were still talking regularly, and I remember yes. you being extremely excited for L.A. Noir, yes. which I mean, I was too. I think I just didn't have the money for it, and I want to say when it first came out, it had mixed reviews, so I just didn't end up pulling the trigger on it. Oh, no, I have very good reviews. I was just on okay. Metacritic. It has an 89 on the Xbox 360. Wow. So. <laughs> uh, but I played it again on the PlayStation 4. They just ported it over. It's not really a remaster. I think they just up some of the textures and some of the environment. They didn't do anything on the faces, which is a little disappointing. I was kind of hoping they upgraded them a little bit. They still look good. It's just there's angles where the top of their heads are kind of blurry, the sides and the back, and then the face looks good. Yeah. It's just kind of jarring. It's not always like that, but there are moments in the game where you see that and it's very noticeable. But yeah, the, the facial animation is still impressive. Of course, we have better technology with the current games that have been coming out the past couple of years, but it still looks really good. And how they did it back then was just insane because they'd stick the actors in this like bright, small white room with like 50 cameras around their face and then they put these like all kinds of stuff on their skin and everything it was more advanced it was it wasn't what they've been doing before or what they're doing now actually they don't even do anything like this now no we've come so much further the game is still really good um it, it doesn't have the same 
charm. And that's because I've already played it. It's one of those games where if you've played it once, that's all you need to do. If you go back and play it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember how to do this case. I remember where the clues are. And it kind of takes a lot of that away. It's one of those that's like more so like a nostalgia trip kind of thing. If you've never played it before, you're going to have a blast with it. But if you've played it back in the day, you're just going to remember all of this stuff and it's not going to be as unique. But the acting is still incredible in this game. I love the story. A lot of cool characters. That's still top tier in L.A. Noir. It's still one of my favorite games. Like I, I remember saying it's like in my top 25. I still put it there just because of how different and unique it is. I know there's a lot of detective games over the years, but there's nothing quite like L.A. Noir. I'm really hoping there's some sort of a sequel to this. I don't know I how, mean, what that would Rockstar be. Rockstar has said that they don't really make one-offs. They fully intend on making franchises out of their titles. I remember them saying that. And I know recently the, the, an image of L.A. Noir showed up in one of their press meetings, so I don't know what that means, but <laughs> maybe they'll go back to it. Maybe it's like the Sony thing. like They just like to have representations of all of their big games whenever they do things like that. Yeah, it could just be that. It probably means nothing. Or it can mean something. Don't get my hopes up. <laughs> don't say there's another one coming. Please, don't don't put me on that rope and just leave me hanging there. God, can you imagine the L.A. Noir with the tech that we have now? It would be cool if this game got a remaster, but... Uh, I don't want a remaster. I feel like the L.A. Noir has been released. I, I think it's at a perfect like limit as far as how many times they can re-release it because we have la noir vr now that's true it was remastered it's like if you do it again now you're getting into skyrim territory it's definitely not remastered i'm gonna say that right now it still in some ways looks like a 360 game okay so it's just upscaled yes it's upscaled but it the facial animation is still very very good in this game nice so that helps yeah, I'm thinking um, once we complete the Resident Evil trilogy, or once we finish the first half, we're probably going to take a break in that series, and maybe I'll go through L.A. Noir on stream um, before we get to um, 5, 6, 7, and 8. There's just something special about that Rockstar game. I mean, I've played all the other Rockstar games. i played the Red Deads, the GTAs, but L.A. Noir is still my favorite one even with some of its issues. Oh, there there is one thing I got to mention. The PS4 port has some audio glitches that weren't there in the original game. Th- there'll be times where, like, the main character is talking and he sounds louder than everybody else, and it sounds like he's kind of in a bathroom with his voice. It, it, they didn't clean any of that up. They were very, very lazy with that stuff. So there are audio issues here and there, like um, you'll hear, like, a gust of wind, coming out of nowhere when you're huh. driving around at first it sounds good he's like oh yeah okay it's just wind but then as you keep playing the game it just keeps looping the sound and i'm like oh that's not supposed to do that <laughs> just gets old after a while yeah so this is a very sloppy port i i don't know if the 360 maybe the pc version is probably the superior version so 
I feel like we're in the generation of sloppy ports at this point. Because, like, everybody wants to re-release their old games. It's like printing money. I mean, we've had Nintendo be the king of sloppy ports with the fucking uh, Nintendo Switch Online thing with the N64 titles. Chrono Cross, Radical Dreamers, I've been watching Ash. Even on an Xbox One Series S, the frame rate dips whenever there's too many enemies on the thing. So it's like a straight port. They didn't really do anything as far as that goes. So I don't know, like what these developers are doing. It really does seem like they're just printing money. And like you spoke on last week about, you know, them taking all of the Sonic games down and forced you to buy this new one. It's, I, I don't know. I don't know where this rant was going other than the fact that we are definitely in a time where ports are not given enough, like, I don't know the right word here, but basically they, don't, they aren't giving the treatment that they should there's not enough attention to detail. They're not really getting in there and really doing what they're supposed to do with it. Alienoir just feels like a sloppy port. Still a great game. I still enjoyed it. And I'm having a blast going through and collecting the trophies because I am going to get the platinum because back on the 360, got all the gamer score. So I got to do it again. There's a few annoying ones in there, but I'll get them. Now that you're shifting all of your achievements over to PlayStation. There you go. Well, um, as far as what I've been playing, this week I've only played what you guys have seen on stream. Um, I've only played Smash, I've only played Resident Evil, with the exception of last night and yesterday. I re-downloaded my pinball tables that Mike was talking about last week. Found out that I had Star Wars on mobile, didn't have it on my Xbox, but I had the Aliens tables and I had the, um... Universal table, so I had Jaws, Back to the Future, and E.T. Oh, nice. Um, I played the Jaws table, played the Back to the Future table. I didn't play E.T. just because I'm not the biggest E.T. fan. Um, great movie, just it's not one of those. And I'm like, oh my god, I love this movie. And then I played the uh, AVP table and the Aliens table. The Aliens tables are fantastic the the one for aliens is probably my favorite table out of all of the ones that i own currently because they actually took clips from the movie and whenever mm -hmm. you shoot a skill ball and it doesn't quite do the skill you just hear hudson going quit screwing around and it just makes me smile every time the back to the future table and well i'll say the back to the future table and the jaws table left me very disappointed the Back to the Future table is cool once you start triggering the missions. The problem I have with it is they couldn't get any of the dialogue from the movies yes. or the music. The only thing you hear is like the sound effects of the DeLorean and the flux capacitor, stuff like that. But Yeah, it feels kind of yeah. like a uh, Back to the Future knockoff. I mean, like you said, I know they couldn't get the licenses, but I mean... I don't know if FX was just... Or not FX, but Fox was like, Hey, you know, here, take all the rights to this. This is fine. Do your thing. And uh, who was it that did Back to the Future? Was it Paramount? Universal, I think. Oh, it is Universal. It's a Universal collection. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> I was going to say, what were you talking about, man? <laughs> anyway, um, the Back to the Future table and the um, Jaws table, both of those experiences just kind of took me out of the amount of immersion I had playing the Aliens tables and the Star Wars tables. Like, when you play the Empire Strikes Back table, they also have sound bites from the movies. But the Jaws table was probably the most disappointing because it seems like there's nothing to it. Yeah, it's very basic. Yeah. So 
it did definitely reawaken my love for pinball and I started playing him and Ash, like I was playing it on my phone at first and then Ash was like, what are you doing? Cause we we're sitting there laying in bed, kind of like winding down. And then I show her the table and it's alien. She's like, what the fuck? You're playing pinball. I was like, yeah, you didn't know about this. She's like, no. Um, so I was like, well, okay, well hang on. Cause since Jacques gave us the series S, we moved our original Xbox one into the bedroom I went to the store and I was like, I don't remember what tables I had on here. I know I had some booted it up, went to my collection and I Oh, I'm sorry. I had the Bethesda tables as well. Um, so I downloaded all of those and we sat there in bed and played pinball to about two o'clock in the morning. That's awesome. I also played the Skyrim and fallout tables and <clears throat> Skyrim table was cool. The fallout table was probably my second favorite. Just the attention to detail, the art style. By the time I got done playing, I was like, all right, I need another Fallout game. And I don't mean 76. I need a legit Fallout experience. So Ash is into it? Oh, yeah. Um, She didn't play um, because she wasn't wearing her glasses. She just watched. But we were both enjoying our time with it, to say the least. So thank you for reminding me that those tables existed <laughs> listening to your uh, episode yesterday. Um, <laughs> but that's all the notes that I have for what I've been playing. I can go on a bit more about the tables and, you know, we could talk about Resident Evil and Smash and all that other shit. But you guys are going to watch me on stream this week anyway. So we're going to skip right over that. And now we're going to go into the inventory. I know some of you are probably saying, but Indy, you didn't bring up the socials. And that's because I'm trying out something new. I think it's probably going to work better if we move the, so- the socials to the very end of the episode. So that way we have plugs there. So we're going to try this format. God. I remember recommending that back in the day. <laughs> I just think it's going to flow better. Because like, if we're closing yeah. it down, it's like, so where can they find us? It's the last thing we bring up. So we can just keep the show rolling. I know this sounds a little jarring and probably defeats the purpose. But you know what? I'm in charge, and you guys can deal with it. First item in the inventory. Um, scientists have invented mouth haptics for VR that allows users to feel different virtual experiences with their mouths, and that's from IGN. Jesus. Uh, this was not an article I expected to see this week, but we have it. It's there. Um, a quote from this article, these include feeling the wind on your face while riding a bike, taking a sip from a fountain and feel the water on your lips and covering yourself with spiders that you feel running in and out of your mouth. Mike, I didn't ask for this. I don't even know that I want this. Um, what are your thoughts on it? It sounds weird, but it could be really cool. And I know Ash is going to love something like this if they ever do some VR Mass Effect thing with Garrus. <laughs> Just saying. If they did something with Liara, you know I'm going to get that technology. I was about to say, you have no room to talk, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and tell you I'm not going to do use it for that. Oh, I know you'd like to feel that blue on your face. But no, I, I think this stuff's cool. I mean, it, why not? Experiment. There's nothing wrong with it. The thing I really want, though, is VR gloves. Give me VR gloves so I move my fingers around you could see it moving just like that in the game. Yeah, I'm ready to get to that Ready Player One um, feeling. But being able to feel like a, there's a drink in your mouth and stuff like that, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's, and, a, and that's is, a bit much. Yeah, and this is coming from somebody who hasn't even used the regular VR headset yet. So I I don't even know how that all feels, let alone putting shit in your mouth and feeling pressure on the side of your cheeks. I don't know. I mean, I can I see I can see some areas where it'd be cool. 
Um, only areas I can see it being cool, and this is I've tried to imagine this. I don't want it to necessarily be like you know the sip of water or anything like that. I really don't want that. But if you could put a fan in it to where, like, if I'm playing Skyrim VR and I walk up on a, let's just say a waterfall, mm, I can feel yes. the rush coming off the waterfall. Or if I'm doing a Star Wars thing and I'm on a speeder bike and I just feel the wind going by, that would be cool. But that's about all the sensation I want from it. Or let's say I'm playing Doom and there's like lava all around me and I could feel the heat from that. That would be cool. But that's about as much as I want from that. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a really stupid idea. It's cool, but I just, I kind of want it reeled in a little bit. I don't want them to go absolutely bonkers with it. Oh, they will. They will. They'll have different areas of your body at some point. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to kind of blow through these guys because we have eight articles and some of them we'll touch on. Some of them we'll just kind of just, we'll actually talk about. Um, We're just going to kind of go. So the second article is the Bioware store listed and quickly deleted a product description i can read uh that implies an original mass effect protagonist commander shepherd is returning in the next game as reported by video games chronicle youtuber user mr holthen noticed a plot synopsis in the description of a mass effect 5 poster which indicates that shepherd would return i don't know how i feel about shepherd returning I feel like they put a perfect bow on it with Mass Effect 3, where Mass or Shepard's dead no matter what, but if we keep bringing this man back from the dead with, like, this Project Lazarus stuff, it's gonna get to a point where it's like, how many times can we kill off a main character? And I'm actually... I'm seeing this happen more and more stories where it's like, hey, this main character died, and let's try and move on. They try and do an original story. It's not as cool as the original. It's like, hey, okay, you know what? We're not making as much money. Let's bring that character back. And then they come up with a reason to bring him back from the dead. Uh, I mean, all of the endings in Mass Effect 3 kind of eliminated him. I know, I think, like, one or two of them, he's kind of, like, uploaded into the Reaper's network. Yeah. His consciousness, there's like a, well, it's not him, but it's like a copy of him. Or Maybe they can do something with that, but I don't really need Shepard to come back into no. the Mass Effect series. Based off the reveal trailer they showed us, I mean, Liara is clearly looking for something, so it, it wouldn't shock me if it's something Shepard related because she already, minor spoilers, well, it's not minor spoilers. If you haven't played Mass Effect 2 by now, I'm sorry, just mute this part if you don't want to hear it but she did bring him back she was the main reason why he came back yeah. she got his body in mass effect 2 and handed it off handed him hand, and handed him off to cerberus <laughs> can't talk and they did the whole lazarus project so maybe she can't give him up whether it's she was a close friend or yeah she was a lover i mean i, I could see that happening but i i don't know if i want that We'll see, like, I mean, at the end of Mass Effect 3, you know, after you do whatever ending it is that you do, and it goes to that story of the kid and the guy standing on wherever they're standing, he's like, tell me the story about the Shepherd again. I thought that was a perfect way that if you're going to do a Mass Effect 4, you kind of pull a Knights of the Old Republic 2 or a Dragon Age um, style thing where if we move into the new game, you can talk about the main protagonist from the previous mm -hmm. game. You can even bring right. the choices that were made. But like when I took the Republic 2, uh, what was his name? 
Atten Ran and Kreia were talking, and you then the talk exile. to them, yeah. and like at the very, very beginning when you're playing or you're talking to Anton, you like have to in, in dialogue you're talking about what you heard Revan did as opposed to what actually happened, and whatever you choose in that dialogue, that's what happened. And I feel like that would have been the better way to move forward because you could easily like start off as a new character even pick a new species i mean this could be an opportunity for bioware to be like hey if you wanted to play as um an asari here's your chance if you want to play as um a geth or i forget what race garris is um the Turians, this is your chance and then you can have a conversation with somebody and it's just confirming whatever it was you did in the previous game and then when you meet up with liara later she echoes everything you had in that conversation is like this this is what happened this is where we are Bringing Shepard back, I feel like, is just a cop-out to bring everybody back to the series, being like, all right, you guys didn't like Andromeda, here's your main character again, because obviously (laughs) you guys can't enjoy Mass Effect without Shepard, and that's not what the problem was with Andromeda, it was the fact that you didn't know how to make a Mass Effect story again, and the gameplay was completely different, and it was just boring. Yeah. Everything was wrong about Andromeda. Story, characters... On paper, let's just say this, Andromeda sounded interesting on paper. Yeah, it did. Uh, But when you started playing the game, it was just like, this is it. Right. And then you had like super buggy facial animations to top it off. (laughs) I just, I, yeah, I mean, we won't go in down the whole, and I'm sure we'll have another chance to have a what was wrong with Andromeda episode. But my two cents on this is, or Mass Effect does not need Shepard to succeed. You just need to capture what made the first three games amazing. Just bring back the Normandy crew. Some of them. And then have some new characters thrown in there. People will be fine. Well, I, I feel like I keep coming back to KOTOR too, but like Bastila and Karth were there at the very end and they're out there looking for Revan or you have a conversation with them. You could have it to where Liara and Garrus or whoever is looking for Shepard and the third one could be finding out what happened to him and they could say, hey, you know, this is years down the lines that we picked up a transmission and it had a Reaper signature on it, but it sounds like it's coming from Shepard and then you're trying to figure out what the fuck is this? I don't know. Anyway, third item, PlayStation is investing additional 300 million into existing first party studios. Quote is revealed in its latest earnings call. Sony made clear this investment is for developing software at existing studios. such as God of War, Santa Monica studio, Horizon for bed and West guerrilla games, and is separate to its acquisition plans. Um, I'm not surprised. I mean, it seems like pretty generic news to me. Yeah, it is pretty generic. We all know that Sony is just going to triple down on their first party exclusives, the big, big, massive single player experiences. That's where they want to go. So it just makes sense that they're throwing in more money because games are expensive. Not a whole lot to talk about there. (laughs) Uh, Fourth item, Xbox One and PlayStation 4 versions of Gotham Knights have been canceled. This will provide players with the best possible gameplay experience is their reasoning. I mean, yes, this also isn't the first time that we've seen this happen. Every time there's a generational switch, they have plans for games. And I feel like this is with Warner Brothers in particular. They plan to release games on the old consoles and the new consoles, and the old one gets deleted. When Mortal Kombat, I think it was 11 or 10, was coming out, 
they canceled the 360 versions and only released... Oh, okay, so it was, yeah, it was Mortal Kombat 10. They canceled the 360 and PS3 versions and only released the Xbox One and PS4 versions. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I remember it because I was working for GameStop at the time, and let's just say I was shocked that customers came up there and yelled at me about it. I'm like, bro, do I look at fucking work for Warner Brothers or I made that decision? I mean, you clearly have control over that. I mean, well, I don't. Uh, yeah, clearly. There's Matt is like, well, you know, I paid $60 for my pre order. What the fuck am I going to do now? I was like, well, you can get your money back. You can buy something else. I don't know. What the fuck are you going to do about it? It's not like you're going to take the money and not get it back. Right. I mean, it's a fucking pre order. You have a GameStop account that's there. Pick what you want. Yeah, this isn't surprising. We're getting to that point where some PlayStation 4 and Xbox One projects are just going to get canceled and i think a lot of publishers are scared now because of the whole cyberpunk situation yeah and they saw what happened with that and if there's even a hint of i don't know if we can run this game on last gen they're just gonna squash it which i mean to be perfectly honest from what i've seen gotham knights i don't understand why this game would be canceled um, unless they're just being lazy and don't feel like investing the R&D into getting it on the old systems, because Mortal Kombat 10 also wasn't that demanding of a game, but for whatever reason, they didn't put it on the older consoles at the time. It's got to be something. There must be something going on behind the curtains, because I don't see WB just saying, we don't need the PlayStation 4 uh, player base that has over 100 million people <laughs> or 100 million systems sold i mean maybe it's a case of like the open world is too big to run i don't know but i mean i'll, I'll also say this and this kind of has nothing to do with the cancel which has to do with gotham knights in particular not that excited yeah i was talking to Jacques uh, the other day and he asked me if i watched it yet and i was like no i haven't i'll watch it later so i woke up this morning and i watched just a few minutes of it and i'm like yeah, this looks okay, I guess. <laughs> nah, see, that's not something you want to hear. Like, yeah, it looks okay. This is why I was upset. Um, in Arkham Knight, you could play as Red Hood. They had Red Hood missions, and the combat for Red Hood was fun. It was phenomenal. Like the moves he had with his dual pistols, it made you feel lethal. When I saw the gameplay of Jason Todd doing what he does in that game and this like triple and quadruple jumps across the sky, I was just, this is a shell of what Rocksteady did um, with the Arkham series. Like mm. when you compare the two, I'm going to play Arkham Knight way before I ever play Gotham Knights. So let's just hope that if they do a co-op mechanic, that it's worth it. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, moving on. Uh, I think Ashley actually was affected by this. Xbox's DRM outage reveals the problems with digital ownership. For those that don't know, Xbox had a massive outage this week. And it actually reset all of Ashley's progress in Among Us. She lost all of her customizations, just everything. Really? Yes. Wait, wait, so this is still going on? Because this happened a week ago. Is there still, like, remnants of this issue? I think there's lingering? still remnants, because she doesn't have any of the stuff that she unlocked. 
But I mean, it's, it's oh, it was boy. pretty wild. I mean, while the time it was down, you couldn't access anything that you owned digitally. It was kind of an eye opener. Yeah, that annoyed me because uh, I downloaded Trek to Yomi and I was going to play it the night it happened and I couldn't play the game. So I was like, all right, well, let me go watch um, the Batman because I was going to watch it on Xbox and I couldn't do that either. I'm like, great. Yeah. And I've completely forgot about watching the movie. I have to get around to watching it. But I was ready to sit down and watch a (laughs) three hour movie. I'm like, okay, this is the time. And then when I sit down xbox live decides to take a shit i'm like oh great yeah that's fantastic um it was definitely a big eye-opener for me because most of the time when i buy movies now unless it's a collection of movies that just are near and dear to me like the alien series or star wars or indiana jones i don't buy blu-rays anymore um that might change when i have a 4k player that can play on my 4k tv but even then it's still only going to be movies that i know i just may get a wild hair in my butt that day i was like you know what I'm going to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Why? Because I want to. Most of the movies I buy, I actually buy on YouTube. And I just go to YouTube, click on my digital movies, and they're all right there. Like, I'm fully transitioning over to digital. This kind of realized some of my fears of, like, what happens if I can't get back into my Google account? I mean, that'll never happen because I have so many, like, backup emails or phone numbers or whatever that I can get back to it. But there's hundreds of dollars of worth of movies on my account. And if I can't ever get back into it, or let's just say something happens with YouTube, I'm out of fucking luck. It's just gone. Yeah, I mean, your account could even get hacked and you lose it. Yeah. And they deleted all your information and all your purchases and stuff. And then that's it. It's just wiped. So I can see why there's still a need for physical uh, movies. It's not like video games these days. If you have a physical disc, it doesn't really mean much. I mean, it has like a couple gigs of data, and then you got to download the rest right. online. But then the counter argument to that is, well, at least I can still sell it. So, I mean, I, yeah. So th- there's a whole bunch of different things. And I mean, and I do that too with physical games. Like, let's, I'll say this about maybe 80% of the games that I buy for my Switch, I buy physical because I know I'm going to be like, okay, I'm done with this, and I go sell it back. Um, just cause I know Nintendo games hold their worth for a while. Yep. And for a lot of Nintendo games, once I beat it, I'm done with it. So I usually, my Nintendo games are usually a revolving door for other Nintendo games. Cause I think the past four or five Nintendo games I've bought were like Metroid Dread, uh, th- two or three Pokemon games. And each one was traded in to buy the next one. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say about this is Microsoft really needs to fix this. This is something they were trying to implement on the Xbox One back in the day, and then it got so much backlash, and then they were like, oh, no, 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 we fixed it, we fixed it. And and all these years later, they haven't really gotten rid of all of that. Like, it's still there, it's still lingering, there's still roadblocks in place that will activate if stuff like this happens, and that needs to change. There should just be a first time sign in to verify your stuff and then that's it and it's just saved on your console then you can still play your games that you digitally own uh movies and etc cetera, etc cetera. so that needs to be addressed yeah i mean very uh, soon xbox was definitely ahead of its time when xbox or when the xbox one was coming out when they were saying hey it's gonna be digital this that and the other and case in point is the series s is outselling the x by a, a good margin and that's just shows that people are now comfortable having digital only systems 
Moving on to our next topic, um, I'm just going to say I called it, Bethesda delays Starfield and Redfall to 2023. I've been saying for a while now that there's no way in hell Starfield's coming out in 2022 and we haven't seen any kind of gameplay. Yeah, that was the red flag I kept ignoring. I'm like, well, you know, they set a date, maybe you'll launch this year. I I, I just assumed it was going to happen because Microsoft, like, needs that game this year. Bro, Microsoft needed Halo Infinite, too, and we saw how that went. Here's what made me laugh about this a little bit. I've been saying it's going to get delayed just because, you know, Bethesda is usually, like, the six-month king. Like, they show the first gameplay trailer, the game's out in six months. Like, they're really good about showing you their game and then the game coming out. But, (laughs) that being said, Bethesda is also known for something else. And that is buggy fucking games. But that is also a part of Bethesda's charm. Like, if you go play Skyrim and get hit by a giant and your character doesn't get launched into the fucking stratosphere, are you even playing Skyrim? So, when I heard it was delayed, it just kind of made me chuckle because I'm like, what state is this game in if it's so not there yet that even Bethesda's like saying, we can't release this yet? It just sucks how there's so many Bethesda games. I'm sorry, I should say there's so many um, IPs from Bethesda that just take so long to come out. Because just think about it. The last Elder Scrolls was... I know there's been re-releases before somebody yells that out right now. Uh, The last Elder Scrolls was what, back in 2000... It was 2011. It was 11. Because the thing was 11, 11, 11. Oh, that's right, yeah. So it's been... A little over a decade for that. And it's probably going to be another three to five years until we get the next Elder Scrolls. So you're looking at a 13 to 15 year gap between the two Elder Scrolls games. And Fallout, I think, was 2015. I'm not counting 76, sorry. So (laughs) eight to nine years, maybe, for the next main Fallout game. When did Fallout 3 come out? Was that... 2009? Eight. So, eight and then 2015 for Fallout 4. So that was a seven-year gap. Yeah, Bethesda's, like, their windows are usually around a decade, it looks like. Except for Oblivion to Skyrim. I think that was the shortest wait that we've had between Elder Scrolls and Fallout. I mean, you could say Fallout New Vegas came out, but that was done by Obsidian, not done by Bethesda. Um, moving on to our next one. This is, um, all kinds of mic news. Alan Wake galore. So Alan Wake remastered gets a Nintendo switch port. Alan Wake gets an AMC show. Alan Wake two is announced in December 21. Remedy confirmed it would show more of the upcoming game during the summer 2022, providing an update on its development. However, the company will no longer publish a trailer or demo for the forthcoming sequel this summer, explaining that it needs more time to get it right. They are quoted saying everything with Alan Wake 2 development is going really well, end quote, said creative director Sam Lake. To create a proper polished demo or a trailer takes a lot of effort, and it's several months of work that could take away from development. Lake added, it's unclear when the developer will show off more of Alan Wake 2, but it's possible we'll see more by the end of the year. Mike, where you stand on all of this? I mean, it's cool that Alan Wake's coming to Nintendo Switch. 
but I don't see that running well. No. And it's the remastered version, so I, I don't even know if that thing can run the 360 version, let alone <laughs> the remastered version scaled down, so that's a whole other thing. So I'm very curious how that's going to work. Uh, as for the show, I think it's great that it's finally confirmed and has the green light. Uh, I know Jacques was saying he's not too crazy about AMC getting it because of how cheap they are with their projects. I mean, just look at how cheap they were with The Walking Dead. Yeah. There was many seasons of that show where they wouldn't leave this the same area just because of budget reasons. And as I was watching the series, I'm like, this series is making so much money. You can definitely put a little bit more money into different locations, but... Yeah, so I don't know if Alan Wake is going to get the financial backing that it really needs, but maybe they'll work it all out. Who knows? All I know is they better get Jake Gyllenhaal because he looks just oh, like yeah. Alan Wake. Like ever since we saw that CG trailer, like that is, um, <laughs> that is the ideal thing for Alan Wake. Um, in real life, there are three actors that I would get for Alan Wake. Jake Gyllenhaal is definitely one of them. I would approve Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah. I'd be perfectly okay with Nathan Fillion playing Alan Wake as well. You know, I never thought of Jared Leto, and I'm not crazy about him in some of the movies he's been starring in lately, like Morpheus, and I wasn't yeah. a big fan of his Joker from Suicide Squad. But, you know, he kind of looks like Alan Wake. Yeah, a little I bit. I also feel like he could just bring that kind of level of, like borderline crazy or not sure if he's crazy like i could see him pulling that off that's not a crazy uh suggestion i i can see him doing that he's not a bad actor he's just you know getting roles where yeah just not that great i mean but i can see him doing alan wake i mean if they can't get jake gyllenhaal i wouldn't mind him now we have one more story to read off because i just saw what your number nine story was that you sent me and i'm not reading that on the air Oh, that's fake. Um, no, that's not real. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it doesn't exist in my mind. Uh, <laughs> the last one's the Dead Space um, stream that they released. Now, me and Ash watched this together, and okay. Ash actually uses a lot of the tools that were shown in that particular stream. Like she uses Maya, and she, like just watching her face, she knew what was being done. So she knows it on a more technical level than we could ever talk about. Wow, I, I I didn't know she was that in tuned with it. I knew she was going to enjoy the stream. I didn't know she was using the same yeah tools that they were using. That's pretty. She cool. uses Maya, um, which is what they were using. Now that being said, I'm gonna go see if she wants to speak on this topic and probably lend some professional insight as to what was being done. Because um, I feel like that might be better content oh, than if you definitely. I, I mean, we're not going to do it justice if if we have one of our uh, crew who's actually uses that stuff. I mean, what am I going to say? I have just gibberish shit coming out of my mouth. Right. So I'm going to be right back. Uh, I'm going to go see if she wants to come on the air and talk about it. Um, and let's see if we can get some better content out of this. I'll be right back. Okay. I guess I can talk while he's gone. Let's see. Uh, you know what? This might be the perfect time to say what else I've been playing. I finished Earthworm Jim HD. Incredible game. I, I don't understand why we don't have more Earthworm Jim games. I know they made a sequel. I don't know if there was an N64 version, but eh, whatever. But yeah, 
really, really good game. I consider it one of those short but sweet games. Uh, but as for uh, the other game, I, I just finished. Actually, no, I didn't finish it. I'm at the very end. DuckTales Remastered. But yeah, I've never been a DuckTales fan. I, I've never really watched the show. I know it's a classic. I know one of our close friends who listens, George, he is a big fan of it. I'm not sure if Jason was into DuckTales or not, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a really good game. I'm shocked at how well done it is for a remaster. And I went on Metacritic and just, just to check out the scores, and I saw a 70, and I'm like, Really? this game is way better than a seven. Like I would give this at least an eight and it's really cool how they brought back all of the original voice actors. They even got, you know, the main person who does Scrooge, uh, Alan Young, which he passed away, I think back in 2016, but this game came out in 2013 and they got him and it was pretty cool. But yeah, very, very cool game. I I think it's very underrated. Uh, I'll probably have more to say about it at some point, but what game is this? Uh, DuckTales Remastered. I was I was ah. just saying how I, I'm at the end of that, and I also finished Earthworm Gem HD, so I was just sharing nice. my thoughts about those games. I recommend both of them. I think they're very, very good two, three-hour games. Those are the other two games I didn't mention before, so I, I kind of just decided to shove it in here while you got up. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Ash is going to pass on giving her thoughts. Um when I was talking to her about it, she says it's like she was very impressed because she saw some of the ways in which they go about doing things. But she said to try and explain how it was done would take way too much time. And it's just it's really hard to explain what they were doing to people that don't work in it. So um, I guess bouncing off of that, I was very impressed with what they've done. We didn't get a whole lot, but what they've done as far as atmosphere goes, and this this game still, you can tell it's alpha. Like, there's not a whole lot of light that's coming from Isaac's visor. The um, UI for the guns and some of the menus is still very basic. Mm-hmm. But from what they have shown, what they've done as far as atmosphere and the tools they have in place to make this game so much more haunting than it was just looking at the two side by side. It made the original dead space look like a original Xbox game just compared to what they're doing now, (laughs) especially during the moments where they're showing a specific room and they're like, okay, here's what it looked like in the original game. It had some writing on the, on the ground and it had a couple lockers and that's it. Now here's our version. And it's like, wow, they did way more with the room. They added like a med bay. They added like all kinds of, testing things like for the the machines i think there was like an mri or what their version of it whatever and you could see like there's like a blood trail and and there's just like a lot of shit was going on in that room when i saw that i was like oh this is definitely better than the original game when it comes to this stuff i i think they're going above and beyond with the scenery and here's the good thing they're not compromising anything. Like no. it still feels like the issue more. It actually even feels better, and it's more enhanced. It, especially when they go into that one room where they have the engines that they're trying to boot up. Oh my god! Listen to the sound of that machine humming and starting up. I've never heard anything like that in a game. 
Like, guys, if you don't care to watch the stream, at least skip to that part when you see them walking around a room and they're starting up a machine. Just crank up the volume and listen to it. It's just nuts. So the sound design and the environment when it comes to storytelling and the background and the, the, the everything, all of that stuff, it is far superior in this when you compare it to the original game, which is impressive. So after watching this stream, I'm even more confident with this team. They really do know what they're doing. They're Absolutely. not screwing around here. The only thing I think we can probably worry about is stuff like, oh, the game's glitchy when it launches and they didn't really clean it up. But yeah. as for the actual Dead Space experience itself, it is there. So this has the potential to be the best version. I think the part that hit home for me the most when they were talking about the art direction and what they were trying to accomplish and what they were trying to do was they made a point that they are trying to make this look like the oldest ship in its class, which is a Planet yeah. Cracker class. Mm-hmm. That got me really excited because that means like just just the things that they were trying to take into effect, like why would this particular item be here if you were living on the ship? Why would you need this here? Like they're trying to build a world strictly like even like putting something as simple as a prop somewhere in the corner is like, why is that there? Every decision they're making as far as art direction, it has to have a purpose behind it. Like they really want this to feel like people worked and lived on this ship and this ship has been around for way past the time it should have been. They give us an example with a glass window and they're like, okay, so here's where the emergency hatches would be. And this would make sense if this would be here and and this would be here for the for them to be able to pop the glass out and, and stuff. So it, everything like looks very functional, like it works the way it should work. Yeah, it, it feels very grounded, even though it's in a spaceship. Everything that's placed on the Ishimura, like you were saying, it has a reason for, for it. Like, yes. There's a reason why it's there. And everything is just so well integrated into the environment. I've never seen this kind of back and forth with the developers and the um, community. I, I, they're so transparent about what they're doing. And they're trying to make sure and express to the fan base that no we're paying attention to everything. We're going to make it just right, but we're going to make it better because of the technology we have now. And I, I, I'm just very happy here. And I'm, I'm excited that they actually put out a date for this because at the very end of the stream, they mentioned that they've already completed the game a couple times like it is playable from beginning to end of course there's some stuff missing and they probably still have to clean things up but they said all the voice acting's there and they're actually progressing very fast uh so i do think they're gonna hit that january day which was a january 27th yep so it was okay yeah i think that's very possible for them yeah i'm with you i mean when you watch how they're doing everything and how they already have these assets, it's more or less forge mode on fucking steroids is what they've done. <laughs> like they've created so many assets to where they can just like copy paste, copy paste, age this much, take away this much. Let's add water here. It's very impressive how they've streamlined everything. Like Mike was saying, the attention to detail that they've made, 
it is easily going to take me longer to finish this one than it took me to finish the first time just because I know now that I after watching this stream and knowing how much love and attention is being put into this this is one of those games where I'm going to just stop and admire what's been done like I will be standing in the middle of certain rooms or just taking in the amount of detail that they put into this game I am so fucking excited to see what's going to be done I can honestly say this is the first game that I think I've gotten a true glimpse as to what the generation gap looks like between Xbox One and Series X and PS5. And but, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, just one. I'm just going to bring up one more thing from the stream when they showed off the Necromorph and they're adding all the layers on it. Uh-huh. And make it I was like, oh God, it looks so good. Go back and <laughs> go back. And play, and I, I played the original not that long ago. Still a fantastic game, and it holds up. But look at the model of the Necromorphs in that, and then look at the one in the stream. Yeah, that has me so excited. I can't wait to play the sections where the lights are out, and you hear like, "Oh, decontamination in progress," or, and then oh you see these things just God, coming that out. Fucking then- room. And you know, it's yeah, I mean I'll I'll add on to that as well. I mean, I y'all I don't know if y'all were in the stream, if y'all listened or watched the stream or whatever, but there was a stream not too terribly long ago, like a couple months ago, where I did play a couple hours of the first Dead Space. So it's still fresh in my mind, and one of our friends of the podcast and of the Twitch, um, Aki, whose tag is just eccentric, she recently went through the entire trilogy. So I actually finally got to see the ending to Dead Space Three because of her, because I got to finish that trilogy. It is a night and day difference. I mean, you'll you'll see that when you watch the stream and they do the side by sides. But to know where the series can go, I just hope that they remat or they remake all of them. I think they will. Dead Space Two in particular needs a remake after seeing this. Like I'm I'm terrified to go back to the Ishimura. I'd even more scared to go back to Titan Station. Oh, with the little infected kids running around? Yeah, fuck that. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but that's going to do it for our inventory, guys. Um, that's the biggest inventory we've had in a while. That's eight items. So, with that, we are going to step into the topic of our show, which is actually a topic that I'm very excited about, um, and that is tabletop games and why we believe that video games will never replace tabletop. Um, we're going to talk about some of the more popular tabletop games that you guys have probably played like Monopoly clue. Um, but we're also going to touch on some of the ones that have, are kind of getting a Renaissance today, which is becoming popular again, games like D and D or Warhammer 40 K. Um, so I, like I said, I have no notes for this topic, so we're just going to kind of talk about it. Um, Mike, the biggest reason why I think that video games will never replace tabletop is because just speaking for Monopoly um, and some of the more popular Hasbro games, there really is an entirely different feeling when you have friends or family gathered around a table and you guys are all playing on a single board game. And I feel like video games are never going to be able to capture that feeling in its entirety. It's very interesting because I'm actually on the opposite side of the fence. Here. Oh. I, I do think I do I'm, think I'm gaming excited has- for this conversation then. <laughs> I do think the gaming industry has taken that over. I I mean, I still love board games, but let's be honest here. Setting up 
a play date for board games is a lot harder than just jumping on to your PlayStation or your Xbox and playing something online. And yeah. to counter what you said before, saying you don't really get that feeling with, with the whole family playing together. The Nintendo Switch and other Nintendo consoles, they have a lot of local co-op games like um, Mario Party or Mario Kart and stuff like that. And I, I've seen families play those together and all sit down and enjoy them. Tabletop games is not going to go away. It's still always going to have a spot. I mean, every household seems to have a few of them laying around somewhere in the closet. And when those special moments happen, you pull them out. Hey, let's play Monopoly and everybody can right. just scream at each other and we rip, rip the board in half and then we cannot <laughs> be friends anymore. But yeah. I yeah I, I'm pretty sure uh, if Jacques was here he'd be echoing the same thing with Maybe. video games being over tabletops gaming so, yeah here's I'll give an example maybe this is going to turn more into a debate now and as opposed to a discussion and either way I'm excited for because I love talking about people or talking with people who have opposite points of view um, one thing that you can't really get with video games um and i'm more so referring to online like you know if you if you're playing like over xbox live you guys can't get together um one thing that i when i when i think about possibilities about playing together like in the same room you are a hundred percent right it is a pain in the ass to set up a date with friends or family, but like, hey, let's have a game night. And then everybody actually dedicates to, okay, we're going to get together, we're going to play a game. Um, we recently went, or not recently, but um, we went on vacation with Ashley's family, and we played video games, like, every night, um, whenever we get back to the cabin, and we decided, hey, you know, we're really enjoying this, let's try and make this a weekly thing. That lasted for about three weeks, and we haven't played another game since. But... There are also things that I would love to do as far as having people in the same room. Like I was telling Ash the other day that we have with Twitch and this podcast and just reconnecting with friends that you and I have played with in the past, but I kind of fell away. It would be a ton of fun to just get everybody together and like rent a cabin and everybody hang out for a weekend and like drink, play games, stuff like that. And that's something would be it would be an entirely different experience whereas if we just did what we normally do is like hey it's the weekend let's play halo tonight instead of actually hanging out in person uh, that's what i mean by you can't necessarily get the same feelings no you're right they're, they're two completely different feelings it's just at the end of the day gaming online is going to outweigh tabletop gaming it's just because of convenience i mean it's so easy to make a game date on a console. Agreed. Play Among Us. We're going to play Halo. Um, we're going to, I don't know, play Call of Duty. I don't really play Call of Duty anymore, but I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. I can't even remember the last time I got a crew together to play Risk. It was probably like 15 years ago. That's and a I know fair a lot point. of people who love Risk. And I know a lot of people who love Monopoly. The Game of Life. Scrabble. The list goes on. I just can't get them in a room to play it. That is actually a very good point. Um, and I'm and the reason why I 100% agree with you is because last Christmas, um, Ash bought me the Warhammer 40k edition of Risk. And you and I have played Risk together before. You and I very much so love that game. Yes. 
I am at a point where I 100% believe that game will never get played. And it's because of two things. One, Risk is a niche tabletop game. I know there's a lot of people out there that love Risk, but it seems like we can never find each other. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're if it's even worse if you're good at the game, because then if you're good at the game, nobody wants to play with you because the game takes hours. And it's not like Monopoly where there's a degree of chance involved. Like you could suck at Monopoly and then bankrupt everybody. If you happen to get boardwalk and park place and get hotels on there, just people have a bad roll of the dice and land on your properties. And you're like, okay, I fucking win with risk. That doesn't happen. And it's still hours of work. I mean, you could be amazing and just get good rolls on that and just decimate everybody, but it's still going to take at least an hour to get through a game of risk if you have a full table. And if you are good at it, nobody's going to want to play with you because it's just infuriating to put that amount of time into a game and you know you're going to lose. So Dude, just... You, oh, God. No, I was just going to say, like, and the people that I know that are actually, that live close to me know that I'm good at risk. They know I play it on my phone. They know I've bought it on Xbox. I've bought it on Steam. I love playing that game. I love strategizing and they will not play with me. All right. I got to figure out which console we can play risk on because this is going to happen. That, hey, this I, is going <laughs> to I just listed three. <laughs> um, I think I own it on. I feel like we played it on Xbox. Yeah, I have a 360 copy or maybe, maybe there is an Xbox one copy. I have maybe I have both. I don't know. The 360 copy transfers over to Xbox one. Oh, okay. All right, well, then there you go. Yeah, we need, we need to get down and play this because yes. a lot of people say I'm one of the best Risk players, and now you're claiming you're a very good I didn't good say it was player. the best. I said I was good. Well, here's the key to winning a Risk game. Well, it's not always the case, but a lot of the time when people hold North America and Australia, they win. Yeah. Because there's only one way to get into Australia, there's only three ways to get into North America, and North America has a high troop count every turn. I think they actually, in the newer editions of Digital Risk, there are now four ways to get into North America. I think from oh. Greenland, you have two routes in. One is going to be into Canada, and the other one is going to put you in around Maine, if I remember correctly. But I, I remember the last time I played it, I was like, what the fuck? There's more... They, they made it more balanced, but you are right that there is still only one way into Australia. You just dump a bunch of troops in the entrance, and it's hard to get in there because you have to come in from Asia. Yeah. And that's the hardest one to hold. If you have full control over that area, that means you have probably most of the board. Yep. And typically, whoever controls Australia is just a pain in the ass player because it's a very viable strategy to try and yeah, just make sure nobody else can hold a country. Like if you can just take one piece of territory per turn and keep everybody fighting amongst themselves, you can build up a huge fucking army out of Australia you won't build it up fast, and you've got to be strategic on what you take, who you keep fighting, like, all of that, but you play it right, and it's very much so a case of the tortoise beating the hare. There's one more thing I want to say about Risk. I know we're hanging on this for too long, this game, but <laughs> one of the biggest 
issues people have with it the casual people or the people who just started playing it for the first time they hate setting it up in the beginning yep and i can 100 percent agree with that i mean i love risk but setting the board up is just like oh, oh it's such all right a everybody gets ask. two truths and then we got a or three i can't remember and then we put them down where we want to put them down and then you go and then you go and you go and you have to do this what like six times yeah six rounds or some shit it takes a while but yeah, tabletop games. I, I I look at it as physical media. It's just not going to go away. It's just going to always be there. I, I think it'll always go on also strictly out of the different editions you can get. Because they're also collector's items. Like, as far as risk goes, I mean, I don't know everybody likes saying, well, I have the Game of Thrones edition of Monopoly. I have the Mandalorian edition of Monopoly. I could give two fucks about what editions of Monopoly you had, perfectly honest. But I do absolutely love my Warhammer edition of Risk and my Halo edition of Risk. So those two collector's items, if I had room on my shelves, I would gladly display those boxes. Um, so that's another reason I think tabletop is never going to be... Re- like, I don't, I don't think video games will ever get rid of tabletop. No, no, definitely not, but... Video gaming is the thing, and it's the thing. Like, tabletop gaming doesn't come close to it. That's just the reality of the situation. As much as I love tabletop games, I know you love them probably even more than me, people would rather play on their video game consoles. That's just facts. That being said, and I know I'm, that's my like key phrase that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to say on this podcast until I can't talk anymore. <laughs> We're going to step into the next tier of tabletop. And this is where I think the majority of this argument is going to come from. I think you and I can agree that video games, especially RPGs in particular, owe a lot to games like D&D or the tabletop versions of Cyberpunk, Vampire the Masquerade, Call of Cthulhu, things like that. And this is why I think that tabletops versus video games this is kind of the core of that argument because writing your own campaign for games like D&D is so freeing in a way that video games will never be able to capture it like i mean imagine being able to play kotor and you are not limited to the three or four dialogue choices that they give you or being in a point where it's like you can only do a renegade or paragon action when it triggers you, you can do that shit at any point at any time. And your character is truly a piece of you somewhere within you. Like yes. whenever you're yeah. playing a character on D and D that you've made, that character exists in you. That is a reflection of your consciousness and some desire or some piece of you is coming out. And I think that's something video games will never be able to fully capture. Oh, no, I agree with that. I mean, that's where the original RPG started was on paper and right. those D&D board games and or just setting up all the characters and their stories and all that. Yeah, of course, that's where it all came from. Fun fact, I've never played a D&D match. I know a little bit about it. I don't know the whole ins and outs, but the reason why I never really got into it uh, or I never joined one is because of the whole fantasy side of it. Now, if 
anyone ever wants to start a Star Wars themed one, then I'm all in. Okay. I will jump in and I will try it. So let me ask you this. Is Mass or is Mass Effect, is Star Wars the only one that would bring you in? And the reason I ask is because I've been in the two-piece Discord a lot, and you're aware of this, but I don't think everybody's aware of this. Um, Haley and Allie have also never played D&D before, and they've expressed some interest, so their Discord asked me if I'd be willing to run a campaign for them. And I'm not going to say no. I love writing. I love coming up with new stories. And honestly, the one that I've... Well, I haven't written it completely because I'm not done yet. But the story that I have written for them so far and the characters that they've come up with, this is going to be a massive fucking game. I don't really know how I'm going to run it online because there's seven people involved. Jim's involved as well. Oh, wow. He and I were talking a little bit um, before the show because we were playing Among Us with the uh, the peas. And I was like, I don't think um, Mike's ever played D&D. And I think he confirmed that you hadn't. But... If they really like it and it becomes a regular thing, they have also expressed interest in running a um, homebrew Destiny themed um, D&D game if they actually like the way it goes. So if they really like the one that I've written for them, it's going to be done over a total of seven sessions um, to tell this whole story. I have a reason why it'll be done in seven. It'll be on rails. It'll be very controlled. So that way they're not overwhelmed with choices and decisions that they can make because right. Let's let's face it. If you've never played before and you said, hey, you can literally do anything. That's almost overwhelming. Like, well, I don't even know how to play. So I've built this story to be kind of emotionally driven. And I've taken inspiration from about every course or source of social media or recent media that I can think of. I've I've taken stuff from Mass Effect. I've taken stuff from Avengers. I've taken stuff from everywhere just classic story tropes to even some missions that were memorable to me in some video games like Dragon Age has a mission. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's not Dragon Age. It's Witcher where it's a masquerade thing and I'm taking pieces from that. And this is why I love writing for tabletops is because you can literally take the best parts of any video game and translate it into something else. And the reason I ask if it's only Star Wars for you that would bring you into it is because if they like it, I have a whole plethora of ideas that I want to run. Like eventually I want to run an aliens themed campaign where it'd be a one shot, but it'd be something like the first movie where everybody's trying to hunt down the alien. Um, I think I told somebody, I told Jim, um, that I want to run an XCOM series um for D D. so i have a lot of ideas and if they like it and it continues i'm probably gonna run one of those at some point and i will definitely let you know if it's something you're interested in trying if it's sci-fi related i'll probably give it a shot aliens 100 star wars 100 destiny maybe yeah i would do XCOM. XCOM would be very interesting because I feel like I would have to write almost custom rules to figure out how it was going to go. I mean, for D&D, you roll initiative to figure out the turn order. Basically, everybody rolls a 20-sided dice and you go in order of who rolled highest to lowest. 
but it's all gun based and it's all ability based. So the core of what it could be is there, but I feel like there's a lot of things that would have to be modified to make it work in a tabletop or tabletop setting. There is one I'd be there with bells and whistles and drooling at the mouth, but nobody would want to play it. What's that? Like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't want to do that. Stargate, but that's not going to happen. That would actually be really interesting. Um, don't say never, because, I mean, if they do like it, I mean, we all stay friends for a while. I could uh, potentially do it, especially if they ever reboot Stargate, um, which I'm honestly surprised they haven't done it. But I, for some reason, I feel like it's coming. I actually had this conversation with a customer three days ago. We were talking about Stargate, and he was saying he, he echoed our thoughts. He loved SG-1. He was okay with Atlantis, and he was disappointed with SGU. But he said one more thing that he really wished that they had done a fourth one that just tied all four together in a perfect circle that brought everything together. But unfortunately, you know, Stargate's kind of dead in the water right now. Yeah, (laughs) that is true. It's dead. (laughs) I also had an idea yesterday for a campaign. Um that would have you watched any of amazon's the boys yet oh i love that show yeah i actually had an idea to where what if i started everybody with like a level 15 character and keep in mind there's like level one all the way to 20 and if you get to 20 you're basically a god at that point but if i gave everybody level 15 character that's completely homebrewed and it was kind of Avengers based, but in the sense that, you know, you guys may not make the best choices at times and there may be some consequences for how you guys use your powers. And it'd be a strictly morality based <laughs> campaign off of what do you use your powers for? OK, so I, I don't know if that idea will ever take off, but. Uh, let's just say I'm very excited about D&D again um, now that they've got me writing and I'm in like full swing right now. Yeah, and this this is kind of where this whole topic came from. Is just it's it's kind of come full circle, I think, for tabletops like D and D and Cyberpunk and everything like that. Because video games today, as far as RPGs, definitely owe their lineage to those original pen and paper games. But I also feel like video games today are responsible for the renaissance that we're having now with Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition and things like that. Because I keep like I remember growing up. I remember hearing Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, it was depicted in media like everyone's like, "Oh, I'm gonna play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm gonna use my wizard, and I smite you," and that's how it's always been depicted. But now we have things like Critical Role, where you have Matthew Mercer and Ashley Johnson and all these big voice actors mm-hmm. doing things like Critical Role, and it's kind of like, "Holy shit, this is actually really cool what you can do." Um, there's actually, I've seen articles now about, Hey, here's this big Hollywood actor ring of Dungeons and Dragons get togethers. And I'm seeing like actors like Vince Vaughn, um, and like Jeffrey Dean Morgan, like they're all playing D and D It's like a picture of all of them together. I'm like, Holy shit. So I've done a little bit of research and so many actors today say they owe their, um, roots of acting to playing D and D at a tabletop because that's where they learned improv. Yeah, I, I, I want to get involved in D&D. It's just I don't want to do fantasy. Like, I don't want, yeah. like I was just saying, I don't want to do mages. I don't want to do elves and dwarves. And I that 
does nothing for me. I lose interest immediately when people mention right. that. And most of the D&Ds are that. I mean, there there is some offshoot ones here and there and there, but that, that's the main core of the ones people like to do. Yeah. So if you get sci-fi going or superhero or anything along those lines, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Cool. I know for me, I use D&D as a template. Um, and take that template and literally apply it to whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> so if you want to do sci-fi, Star Wars, whatever, there is a homebrew of it somewhere on the internet. Just find it and adapt those rules and you're good to go. Um, but I think that's all I have to say on the topic. Mike, did you have any final thoughts on our topic? Kind of said everything already. I'm good. I'm good. Well, uh, I guess we're now we're going to move on to surprise mechanics. So for those that are new to the show, Surprise Mechanics is where me or Mike or Ash or Jacques or anybody that comes on the show brings a random game, story, whatever to the show. We don't know what each other has thought of or thought up or whatever, and we just kind of present it before each other, and that's the surprise. So on that note, Mike, I'm going to let you go first. Okay, remember last time we did an episode, I asked, how's your voice? Yes. How's your voice now? It's great. I still cough occasionally, but I am just fine. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Indy, I'm going to put you in the spotlight right now. Want to hear some voice impressions? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, I'm nervous and excited for this. You know, let's start with an easy one. I think you can do this. Emperor Pappleteen. I don't have lines for you. I know the one time I did it with Jacques, I had dialogue for him ready to go, but I didn't go that deep with this, so you're just going to have to pull shit out of your head. <laughs> I think you'll find that this battle station be fully operational when your friends arrive. Do it. <laughs> not bad. I give that a seven. That's oh, pretty thank good. thank you. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Okay, here's the next one. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> this is going to be one that's going to be challenging because I'm in the state of my voice right now, but I'll try. Um, Let me take a sip of water real quick because my voice is actually kind of, or my throat is really dry. Yeah, yeah, do what you got to do. I should have had Ashley make me a cup of tea before this started. <laughs> All right, so Mickey Mouse. Hi, everybody. Don't copy any of my stuff or else I'll sue you. <laughs> that was better than I expected. Yeah, my I could feel it. My voice is like, um, sir, you can't go that high yet because it kept wanting to like, like turn off on me. OK, I got some deep ones here. Don't worry. Pennywise, the new Pennywise from the 2019, 20. I can't remember when they came out, but yeah, that. I can do a decent one. I'm not going to do it here, but I've done it before on this show. I think I did. Oh, no, I didn't, because uh, I think it was one of the uh, canceled episodes where we had audio issues. Okay. That Never sucks. Mind. I would have loved to have heard that, but okay. Pennywise. Well, hi, Georgie. Do you want your boat back? The the. The storm blew her off track, and I just got washed away with the storm. Can you can you smell the popping corn? <laughs> can you oh, pop 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 pop? All right, yeah. I, I 
I recognized who it was. So <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched it. So that's also one of those that he constantly goes back and forth between low to high. Yeah, he, yeah, he does. I, I, I know this is gonna piss people off so bad, but I like his version a little bit more than Tim Curry. I know Tim Curry's legendary. <laughs> I have to say that right off the gate, he's legendary, awesome actor, but. This new version freaks me the hell out. Oh, he was so much creepier than Tim Curry. I still got to watch part two. I still haven't seen it. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to finish it. All right, here's the next one. Indiana Jones. <laughs> I want to hear that Harrison Ford voice. Oh, See if you can I've do it. I've never done Harrison Ford before. Um, I'm trying to think of a classic Indiana Jones line. One where he's not yelling. I mean, there's always the whole, you know, it belongs in a museum. Um, <laughs> what is a good line? Uh, I'll Google it real quick. I'll get I'll get you a line. Yeah, I keep seeing lines from other people. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's funny. I'm looking up quotes for Indiana Jones. You'd think the top results would be the main character, not his father. Yeah, like I see or... stuff from the guy in the Last Crusades that shoots his dad. He's like, it's time to ask yourself, what do you believe in? Okay, so there is a uh, there's a line in the Last Crusade where he's teaching his class, or maybe it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't remember which one, but he's like, um, archaeology is the search for fact, not truth. If it's truth you're looking for, Dr. So-and-so's class is right down the hall. Yeah, that was horrible. I'm just going to... Like I said, I've never tried Harrison Ford. I have, like, certain impressions that I can do. I usually study the mannerisms. I watch for tone shifts and, like, how they would present that particular voice. Harrison Ford is not one that I've studied. Um, However, if you want to hear a spot-on fucking impression of Harrison Ford, go look up Mark Hamill doing an impression of Harrison Ford. It is so spot-on, and it is funny as hell. That is funny. I've seen that. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know which voice you're going to pick, but that's up to you for this next one. Uh, Spider-Man, any version. You got Tom Holland. You got Tobey Maguire. You got Andrew Garfield. You have the animated series. You even have the video games. That's, those are three other performances. I've never studied how they do. I mean, Tobey Maguire's... Spider-Man, like, he always talks very softly, depending on who he's talking to. Um, He says, like, you know, you have to be steady to do the right thing. Sometimes it requires letting go of our dreams, like, stuff like that. Whereas um, Andrew Garfield leans very hard into that, like, Boston, New England accent. Um, Tom Holland, I mean, Tom Holland does the same American accent whenever he plays an American character, because he is English. Um, although I feel like for Spider-Man, he leans a little hard, and I'm more so giving an analysis than I am an impression. Um, but he leans more so into the, um, I guess the awkward cocky, in a way, like, he, he's very confident, but he does it in kind of an awkward way, if that makes any sense. How about this? What is your Spider-Man voice? If you had to do a Spider-Man voice, not based off of anybody. 
What would your Spider-Man voice be? Well, to be perfectly honest, if I had to do a Spider-Man voice, um, I feel like it would come out too Deadpoolish. Because whenever I picture Spider-Man, I picture a wisecracking, like annoying ass kid, and that's always Deadpool. And I come back to Ryan Reynolds, but he wouldn't be a good Spider-Man. So I don't know, man. I haven't given that any thought. Yeah, let's let's skip this one because I have no clue whatsoever. I I have one I think you can do. Captain Price from the Call of Duty series. All right, that wasn't a bad outing, but it's not hard to improve on garbage. Name's Soap, eh? Muppet lets you pass selection. That's about as good as I can get at the price I think right now. I have one here I just completely skipped because there's no way in hell you're going to be able to do it. I don't know why I wrote it down. Okay. I'll mention what it is. It's Spyro the Dragon. You're not going to be able to do that. Oh, doing like the Tom Kenny voice? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's close enough. <laughs> well, you know, I remember listening to Spyro and he's always like super cocky. Um, and it is Tom Kenny and Tom Kenny plays a very, he, he almost does the same voice in everything he does. Unless he's using his SpongeBob voice, um, he like he has two settings. He has Spyro, who is more like I'm just gonna bash that batty in the head, and then there's more like SpongeBob. Oh, so God. like that, that was goes, actually not bad. Wow, <laughs> thank you. Good. Tom Kenny is one of those that I've actually studied how he does his different voices. So it seems like you're better with the higher pitched ones, but your voice is kind of still recovering. It's the ones that I've trained myself to do. Like, I mean, I can do I pretty much no matter what condition my voice is in. I can do Smeagol from the Hobbits. Oh, jeez, that's creepy. That's creepy. That sounds like a mouth. Yes. I've been able to do that one for a long time. The God. Oh, that's actually what I sounded like when I was sick. <laughs> Holy mackerel, that sounds like him. I, I've i heard your SpongeBob SquarePants like in full blown force before. It that's another one that good. I studied pretty hard because um, I, well, I used to babysit a lot and I used to make kids laugh all the time. So it was easy to entertain them. Um, it got to a point to where I had downloaded some spongebob songs on rock band and when i would i would do the singing part of it and it sounded like it was right out of the show (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's my surprise mechanic just a little fun thing there's no that was fun um i would love to do that again when i have full control of my voice again maybe that's a surprise mechanic or maybe it's just a thing we can do on the show where I'm given a little bit of time to prep and I can actually try and hone in a couple different voices. Yeah. Like it becomes a segment like voice of the week. <laughs> yeah. Voice impressions. <laughs> and you're like, um, well, it's like even on the Twitch, you know, I have that channel point where it's like, you can redeem a, a random accent. And this last one, I was talking very Irish. So every now and again, I was just going on and on. Well, this is more English, but I went full Ireland or a full Ireland leprechaun on stream and it lasted for a good fucking while. And um I can't do it as well at the moment because my throat is rather dry, but it was a lot of fun. See so to right now I have too much phlegm in my mouth, so it doesn't allow me to articulate my voices quite as well. <laughs> uh 
but yeah, that's it. Uh, do you have a surprise mechanic? Because I, I know you told me before the episode you forgot. It wasn't so much that I forgot just so much as I just, I didn't have a whole lot of time. But I do have a mechanic. And this is going to be very interesting. I don't know if you're quite ready for it. Oh, what's that mean? It means we're going to redo some Aliens canon. We're going to scrap Alien 3 and Resurrections, and you're going to tell me what your ideal sequel to Aliens would be. I I mean, if you want my honest answer, I wouldn't do a sequel to it, but if we're playing this game... uh... Okay, so I'll give you an alternative. Either we drop Alien, like, we drop three in Resurrection, and Aliens is where it ends. Okay. And instead, we'd redo Prometheus and Covenant. All right, here's the thing about Prometheus. I actually really like that movie. I, I liked... I did, too. ...the direction they were going with, with that. I like where Ridley Scott's mind was at, where it kind of showed us what we were missing from the original when they introduced the space jockey and the, and the derelict ship. I was like, what's that all about? I, I we never got an answer for that. It was many right. movies passed by and 2012 rolls around. We got Prometheus and it was all centered around the engineers and the, the that species that was a part of that ship. And I was very excited about that and I really enjoyed it. But then when you get to covenant, they kind of took all of that and just flushed it down the toilet. Yeah, it seemed like Fox was like, get us a xenomorph in this movie now. Like, I don't care what you had planned. The thing about Prometheus, it was it was um heavily hinting. I actually wasn't hinting. You see a mural on the wall that shows it, the face huggers and all that, but it it was yeah. it was showing that they were the original creators of these things. Maybe it was a different variant. Right. But uh they were the original creators. It seems like they abandoned the project for whatever reason. Probably because they couldn't control them or whatever. They didn't. They just lost interest and they stopped doing it. So maybe David... I'm not saying David can't have some fun with all this stuff. I just don't like him being the sole creator of these things. Yeah. I, I think it would have been perfect if the engineers were the ones who were involved in this. Because when you go back and watch the original movie, why is there an engineer flying these eggs around? In Covenant, they're like, okay, David's the one who created the xenomorph that we know, and that's where it all started. And I, but I'm see, just there's a continuity like, error there, because yeah. in Alien, they show that space jockey, and it does have something that bursts out of its chest, but the yes. only thing we've burst out of a space jockey's chest is the deacon from the end of Prometheus, so it's like, what the hell killed it? And we know that the engineers flew ships around that had weapons on it. Like they had a bioweapon. Yeah. And on this ship, they had eggs. For what, what they were doing with them, we don't know. They crashed on the planet. So how is that associated with David? Does he just eventually find some engineers and they hang out and they, and they all work together? And then one takes right. the ship to LV-426? I don't understand that. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, because at the end of Covenant, David's on that massive colony ship and presumably is going off to go do whatever he's doing. He has his queen embryo and that's about all we know, but 
I mean, we don't know how this connects anything. It almost seems more like it's a multiverse kind of thing where, hey, this yeah. is the aliens in this universe versus what you have in this universe. It, it, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what Ridley Scott was thinking with that Covenant movie. I, I really don't. It's like he forgot his own movie because he, he set up things yeah. in the last movie and he just completely ignored it. It's not like there's two different writers here. This is another thing that kind of bothers me about the prequels is that you you kind of mentioned that Ridley Scott kind of forgot his own movie, but when you look at Prometheus, technology is so much more advanced than what we see in yeah. any of the Alien series. Now, I mean, you could make the arguments like, well, you know, the Aliens movies are more so about colonization and this, that, and the other, so the technology is in advance. Okay, I can get behind that, except for the fact that in Aliens, they're on a station that's orbiting Earth. Like, if anything is going to have that super advanced technology, I feel like it would be that station as well. Before I said I don't want a sequel to Aliens, but if you were going to do one, I, I like where, uh, what's that dude's name? Neil, Neil uh, Blomkamp? Yeah. I liked what he was cooking up. Yeah. I like the idea of bringing back Hicks and everybody. Yeah. But 20th Century decided to go with Ridley Scott's Covenant. Yeah. And now we have a TV show coming. <sighs> see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Alien 3 and Resurrection, I just flushed those down the toilet. There's a few people I know who absolutely love Alien 3, but even they will tell you that the beginning of that film is dog shit. Yeah, it and is Ashley really actually loves Resurrection. I could see that. Well, I feel like, I don't know, I think she likes, she loves the cast from Resurrection. Like, she loves Ron Perlman, she loves Winona uh, Ryder, and she likes the idea of a queen trying to be more human. And then she, for whatever reason, she loves the design of the baby. But I, I don't know. And I think she likes the idea of Ripley being a half breed. Like she just loves the confident badass that Ripley is. So I don't like resurrection, but it is better than three. I will agree with that. Um, I've watched Resurrections a couple times just because I wanted to watch it. I haven't watched three since I watched it initially. I will say this conversation has really made me want to do an Aliens episode where we just break down the movies and talk about what we would change, what we liked. That needs to happen soon. Yeah, we can play some Aliens games. I got plenty of them. Right, we we do. And um, we have one we won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> there's the one that we all love from 2013 it's a gem maybe that'll be the episode that we just we do a deep dive into the franchise and we'll our surprise mechanic at the very end will be just alright so let's talk about a game called Colonial Marines and we just tear it to shreds don't put me on that path again I didn't put, not this episode, but I'm just saying we so, may find ourselves on that road at a different episode. Just don't trigger me, because you know I'm going to go off on Aliens, Clone Marines when I hear it. There's a reason why I was avoiding the name. Why doesn't it like Colonial Marines, Precious? That's not Precious, that game. That's trash. That's precious! You burn it. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, that's our show, guys. Check out our socials in the description below. We have a link tree. It goes to everything that we are currently on. Um, check us out on Twitch. 
next week, you guys are in for a very special episode. This is going to be our first Star Wars dedicated show. Um, we still have no game plan for that show or what it's going to be, what we're going to talk about. We may not even come up with a game plan. We may just hit record and start talking. Which, honestly, me and Mike could easily do. That's actually a good idea. I, I was thinking, like, can we just cut the news? Unless there's some Star Wars news we could talk about. I mean... <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and plan on that. Next week, no news. No, this is what we're playing. Unless we decide we want to do that, because I do like that occasionally. And no game plan. We're just going to start talking. And the best part is, that show will air right before Kenobi does. You know what? This is a good time to ask the, the community. Do you want special episodes like that every once in a while? Like 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 he was just mentioning Aliens-themed one, a Star Wars-themed one, a blah, 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 and a blah, blah, blah. Like, let us know, because that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'd love to do episodes like that. And honestly, even if nobody writes, we'll probably still do that, just to kind of shake things up. You know what's going to happen, though? This is what's going to happen. Next week, all the massive game news is going to happen. Half-Life 3, uh, it's like every single possible thing you can imagine is going to hit that week when we want to do something else, because that's just how life works. And you know what? Our surprise mechanic will be doing the news, because <laughs> damn it, we're doing the Star Wars episode. No, I like that. That's that's a perfect uh, way around that if something does happen. Yeah. Cool. Then... Guys, forget you heard that. That's a surprise. <laughs> um, Mike, do you have any closing comments or shout outs or plugs that you want to put at the very end of this particular episode? Not really. I know I know that kind of disappoints people, but okay, no, I have something. Um Go actually no, I'll save that for next week. That'd be perfect for next week. Never mind. I'll hold the mic thoughts. No, I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing absolutely nothing i almost ruined something for our next episode so the only thing i'll plug um we have a friend of our twitch channel named steamboat taco he just started streaming this last week um go show him some love give him a follow i know he'll appreciate it um but that's it that's our show for this week next week we'll see you guys for star wars and hopefully we'll see you guys in the twitch but until that time my name is indy i'm mike and we're out Bye, everybody. Stay safe.